0: We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More? Wow. Mmm, and yes! Yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal, so when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings.
1: Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 70 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DiMeo. And this might be the most we've ever had to cover in the history of our podcast with the Mets. Since the last time we've spoken to you, the Mets have signed Max Scherzer, Starling Marte, Mark Canna, and Eduardo Escobar. So a monster monster week for the New York Mets, a statement week for Steve Cohen, a great job done by Billy Epler, Sandy Alderson. Of course, it feels like the the entire Cohen family involved with some of the moves here. This was an exciting one, uh, one of the most exciting weeks of an offseason, maybe of all time in a lot of our Mets fanhoods. And we're going to get through it all today, along with Javi Baez going to the Tigers, um, and what's next for the Mets as well, on top of answering your questions. So, Joe, you and I, have, we've been on YouTube. We've done some live streams. The videos are there if you missed them. But now it's time to podcast. This is where we go on for a long time. Going to be over an hour today. This is where it's a lot of recapping everything that's gone on. And I think this is the most exciting week of our show.
2: I think it's the most exciting since the Steve Cohen episode, like when we finally realized that the Mets were purchased by Steve and we're getting out of the Wilpon era. And this is the kind of stuff that we dreamed about when we did that podcast is the off season where the Mets will spend a lot of money. And obviously last year they spent two, like it was, it wasn't like they did nothing. You know, they just threw $340 million at Francisco Lindor. Uh, so you just look at the four moves that they made which you ordered them you know top to bottom or did you save the best for last with Eduardo Escobar I'm not sure but the but <laughs> you know the deal but the reality is they went ham this weekend and it's so crazy the last time we were on this podcast the rumors of Steven Matt's pissing off Steve Cohen hadn't <laughs> e- hadn't even happened yet I don't think right I think it happened like mid last week I, th- it, I think it was Wednesday morning yeah. you and I obviously record
1: Tuesday yeah. evenings yeah. and the show releases right after and and you our show you and I really just recapped the losses of Noah Syndergaard and Aaron Loop to to the Angels.
2: Yeah. So like the Stephen matts thing which feels like a light year ago. We that that was in between one week of a podcast and you know his agent Rob Martin maybe he gets a statue next to uh Tom Seaver outside City Field because he set Steve Cohen on a rampage. And, you know, like you said, statement moves, most specifically Max Scherzer. Let's just call it what it is. Uh, I've campaigned on this podcast and anywhere that you can read or hear me that the Mets should go all out for Scherzer. And I would say that. And the response always reasonably so would be, yeah, we know it's unlikely, but sure, go ahead, go and do that. Well, it happened. So call it unlikely. I've, I said it on YouTube yesterday, which go check out the That's So Mets YouTube channel. Um, subscribers are going up. We've had a couple thousand people watch uh, our videos. So, you know, let's bring that subscriber count up. But it, it's just a statement move that didn't really see coming. Uh, certainly there was some questions about some West Coast bias per se with Scherzer. But I think it's clear that ended up being a myth. And the reality is, at the trade deadline this past year, he just wanted to get traded to the best chance to win a World Series before a free agency. And like I've said many times, 99% of free agents take the most money. Max Scherzer took the most money, and he's a New York Met.
1: It's absolutely right. And I think it it was a long process in a tight window, right? It felt like it was going on forever, even though these last couple of days have just flown by. But you hear things like, you know, the Coens as a couple owning the Mets and obviously being involved with how the Mets are run, talking to the Scherzers. And there's a lot that goes on here. Max Scherzer has a reputation, not just in baseball, but amongst all in all athletes as being one of the most fierce competitors in sports. Max Scherzer, to me. Well, yes, the money matters. The money matters more than anything. Max is a guy that is not going to finish his career uh, in the basement dwelling, right? In the cellar. It's not going to be like that. He needs to know that you're all in, that this is a place that he wants to be and wants to be winning at. And it was just a bona fide uh, statement move for the Mets to get him and pair him with Jacob DeGrom for DeGrom's prime here as the frontline starters one and two and, and you and I have been you know we've had our eyes on a lot of different things as we've done this show we've talked about you know months ago we were saying uh, it'd be great to get Stroman back as we realized that probably wasn't going to happen you know we were in on Gosman, and then you just always have that elephant in the room in a sense that well what if you could get Max Scherzer here right what would that be like and when it actually happened it just it's a Unbelievable feeling of of shock. I actually it still really hasn't settled in till I see him on the mound for the Mets. Then it'll be like, my goodness, you and I were laughing off air after one of our streams that, you know, everybody goes nuts for opening day. And it's hilarious that Max Scherzer will not be an opening day starter as it stands right now that you can, you know, we're in the stream world where we're hoping that it's Jacob DeGrom on opening day and then Max Scherzer in game two. And, and that's something that you hope for at the start of the season. And that's something that you hope for in the playoffs at the end of the season. And that's a special thought. And sure, we're far away from that. But I'm not going to sit here and pull, pour cold water on uh, these dream scenarios that the Mets have created, that the Mets have the the availability to do. Um, it's it's a different era here where they are a New York baseball team and they are operating like a New York City baseball team. And it's it's exciting. And it's, it's not the thought of... Because everybody you know, people that aren't Mets fans have asked me things like, you know, oh, well, what do you think of him not being able to pitch in the World Series and that he's 37? And and I'm like, do you realize like these things are not I've never even had to engage or debate over these things as a Mets fan in the Wilpon era, pretty much for a very, very long time. The fact that these are the questions we're having instead of, hey, can Rick Porcello and Michael Waka do enough as three and four starters? Like it's a, just a totally different scenario to be in where Yes, the Mets are getting headlines. Yes, there's going to be media and other fans and questioning if you can, you know, buy a World Series or buy a playoff spot and all these things. But I'm glad that the Mets have the flexibility to make these moves and aren't just all talk a lot of action. And it's it's something that we have been waiting for for such a long time. And this is the move at the top. Why we're starting with this move on the show today uh, that sends a message across baseball that the Mets are for real.
2: That's that's the huge thing. It sends a message not only to other teams, um, but to players throughout baseball, that the Mets are not to be taken lightly. They're not, you know, obviously they still have to work on perception and things like that. That's That can only be mended over time. But they're saying the message that this is a team that wants to win. It's a team that has the financial flexibility to do so. And... I liken the Max Scherzer signing. Obviously, it's at a significantly uh, bigger financial level. Uh, Obviously, it's way, way uh, different time. But it's very reminiscent to me of 2003 when the Mets brought in Pedro Martinez. And at the time, everyone thought Pedro had probably two years of effective pitching left. And the Mets gave him four years. So they went a couple years long, gave him some good money, and... They got, you know, some praise for going after the star, but some criticism for over quote unquote overpaying. And obviously signing a Pedro led to Beltron and that led to further moves down the line. I have a feeling that you see Max Scherzer as that that statement move a la Pedro, where that's gonna lead to more things down the line over the next year, two years. Um who knows what it does for the rest of this offseason where they're gonna have, you know, opportunities after the lockout that's starting on Thursday but this is just a statement move to everybody and then you know just for them on the field they have two of the top five pitchers in baseball something like that if they're healthy and good and they're gonna be pitching two out of every five days and if you want to have the dreams and the visions of playoff which I imagine the fact that the Mets are spending as much money as they are on this roster they have visions of being a playoff team in 2022 you're now going into a seven game series at some point hopefully with Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer pitching four of those seven games and I mean that's as good a position as you could ask to be in and man it was it was an exciting day and I know that uh there was definitely a lot of excitement on Twitter and I saw it and followed it and you know Don't worry about what's, you know, we're going to talk about what's next, obviously, but don't worry about looking ahead. For right now, just enjoy the fact that the Mets did something that they basically never would have done in your lifetime, which is go sign a top, top guy, set a record for average annual value on a contract, and also be able to do more on top of that. It wasn't like they signed Scherzer and they're like, we're tapped out like they gave Starling Marte who we'll talk about next they gave him basically 20 million dollars a year and that sounds like an appetizer
1: which it's crazy right to think about that the Starling Marte you know let's get into Marte because and I think I I'm a little guilty of this being so fixated on Scherzer the Mets being in the national headlines the Mets being a talking point um what's next which we will also get into we're so guilty of always thinking like that and of course depending lockout that I think many including myself I will call guilty here forget how great of a baseball player Starling Marte is and he was the center fielder on the free agent market um he's somebody that you know knock on wood has aged really really well uh his approach at the plate something that I think this team lacks. He's a guy that does not ground into double plays. He's a guy that gets on base at an alarming rate. He is an excellent base runner, a legitimate, legitimate stolen base threat whenever he's on the base paths. He is somebody and plays a good center field, has experience in the corner outfield. Uh, This is a move for the Mets that, you know, we've talked about the two for one things in the past. That makes them much better in the outfield by moving Nemo to left, putting Marte in center and getting speed on the bases and getting a guy that gets on base. It balances the lineup. It balances the outfield defensively. And, you know, a guy that people just really, really like around baseball. Right. It seems like wherever he goes, everybody's interested in keeping Starling Marte. Besides, you know, he was on the Pirates for a while, but it's the Pirates never keep anyone for a career. I just think Marte coming here, and yes, it's a four-year deal for a player that just turned 33, but this is a huge move for this
2: window they're in right now. And one of the reasons they had to go for that one year longer, because I think in an ideal world, you're giving Starling Marte a three-year deal. But my understanding is that there was double-digit teams seriously interested in Starling Marte's services. And if you want to get a free agent, you have to be the highest bidder or right up against the highest bidder. That's the only way this works. And Steve Cohen was willing to go that extra year. And I commend him for it. You know, this is going to be the last look back on a previous Mets free agent signing because I don't have one for Canner or Escobar. But I was even saying this when we were talking about potentially signing Marte, you know, before it all happened. Seems very reminiscent of Curtis Granderson in a sense where it's like, He's a center fielder now. He's an impact player, but he's a—he's not going to be a center fielder for the entire entirety of that contract. Likely, he's probably going to have to shift to a corner in the back part of that deal. Uh, but he's a high contact hitter, which I think is something that we'll talk about with Canna and Escobar as well. That you know they sign guys that are below average as far as uh, strikeout rate or above average, however you want to look at it. The whatever's better, like they strike out less than. The average player in baseball. And he's a high con- like I said, a high contact hitter. And one thing that I think s- kind of gives you a sign that he will age better than maybe some other guys is his success against high velocity. And the game is obviously trending in such a direction where everyone's throwing 95 plus, like gone are the days that throwing 95 made you a hard thrower. That's now kind of par for the course. And he's been successful against plus velocity which is measured as you know above 95 miles an hour so that's 96 plus and you know he has been successful again against that so that's i think a sign for some optimism like you said he's a good athlete he could play center field you know it's not an elite level at this age um he's playing center field at a perfectly solid level uh but your overall outfield defense is now going to improve because you could take Nimmo, shift him to a corner where he'll be more above average than kind of average. Then you have you know multiple above average guys out there, and then his base stealing. Like I don't think he's going to replicate forty-seven steals again, probably. Uh, but he's clearly like, thirty would be great. Yeah, he's a twenty to thirty stolen base threat, I would say. Um, but his base running, just overall. High base running IQ, aggressive, but smartly aggressive. So he's he's going to push it, but he's he doesn't run you out of innings like we saw Jonathan VR do at times, who was, you know, an aggressive base runner. And sometimes it was awesome and sometimes it bit them. Uh, so Marte is just a really sound baseball player uh, that has a little bit of everything. And, you know, I think it's a, a significant addition for the Mets and is really going to change the outlook of this lineup.
1: I think so, too. I think that's something that we'll, we'll get into when we have a lot of time to kill during the lockout. What does this lineup look like? Right. With the big impact additions. And there's a lot of ways you can draw it up. But Billy Epler has come in. And if you listen to some of his interviews, you could see him hinting at this before the signings. He wants a lineup that's a little more versatile, that's a little mo- more balanced. And they've built one now that guys are going to work pitchers, right? They're going to have guys all over this lineup that can work long counts, draw walks, run the bases. And the big boppers, Pete Alonso, Francisco Lindor, you know, we might have more on the way. And of course, Escobar, who hit 30 home runs uh, before, they can drive these guys in. And I think it's the right approach. And now i I do have a concern that I'll address at the end of all of this that I'm, I really want to throw your way because I'm curious what you're going to think, but there's way too many overwhelming positives with how they're constructing things right now. So let's stay in the outfield because we talk about Nimmo moving to left and, and I know Andy Martino has said that uh, the Mets are interested in extending Brandon Nimmo, which doesn't surprise me because then you have this outfield for at least the next two years, but you, know, you really have a, a core there. Marte in center, and they signed Mark Canna, right? So Canna was the second signing. We're kind of going in reverse order here. Interesting player that has played everywhere in the outfield. Um, I think he's been at his best in right field, which is where he's a projected starter for the Mets right now, taking over from Michael Conforto. A kind of American League version of Nimmo, to be honest with you, a high on base guy, a works the counts and drives pitchers nuts, gets hit by pitches all the time, which a lot of people always talk about how that's not a, uh, reliable stat, but I mean, there's something to it to me when one guy has, I think it's the fact that they are just working long counts and do crowd the plate, uh, chipped in with 12 steals last year, just kind of a, a, a you know, an athletic guy in the corner. So now you have a very athletic outfield at all three spots, in a ballpark where you desperately need that, but definitely a player that can hit at the one or two spot, set the table, ducks on the pond, everyone else drives in. What do you think of Canna, a player that I'll admit, and I know a lot of Mets fans are like this, you don't really get to see him a lot since he's been in Oakland all this time.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm not going to pretend that. You know, I, I watch Mark Canna play baseball every day. I don't stay up when the Mets play on the West Coast. You think I'm staying up for non-Mets West Coast games? <laughs> um, but no, I think you summed him up perfectly. He is a, to me, he's very much a right-handed version of Brandon Nemo. There's a little bit of pop there. Like, he'll pop you 15 to 20 tops home runs at this point. Um, but he's got, you know, a little thump in his bat. On-base skills are plus uh, ability to get hit by pitches. I mean... If he's willing to do it, I'm willing to let him do it, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I think he fits and he's versatile. Like you said, he played all three outfield spots. He played a little first base. So if you ever have to put him there, he's able to. Um, he's not a plus defensive outfielder, but he's fine out there. Uh, he's not going to kill you. Um I still have to figure out how good his arm is. I don't know how great it is, but uh he's probably going to, like you said, end up in right field where Conforto had a plus arm. So I I imagine they're probably going to be getting at least somewhat of a downgrade as far as arm quality goes. And, you know, let's be honest, Conforto's probably going to get $100 million. Mark Canna's getting 26 and a half. You shouldn't be expecting a wash necessarily as far as a player goes. But I think the Mets are constructing their team in a different way right now. Like they're looking at this lineup. They're looking for on-base skills. Marte has them. Canna has them. They're looking for guys that make contact, put the ball in play. All three of the batters have that ability. So I think I think it's a good move. Um, keeping it to two years, I think, was good. The money's fine, thir- about 13 and a half, $13.25 million a year. Uh, I think he's a good asset here, and... You'll have flexibility where you want to bat him on a given day. I think in an ideal world, he's probably hitting sixth. You know, I know you mentioned as a table setter, whereas on base skills play. Uh, but I just can't imagine shifting like a Nimo down or a Mar. Well, Nimmo will get
1: hurt, so then he'll be batting you, at the
2: top. You shush. Um, <laughs> but if he does, Canna certainly has that ability. Um, maybe taking Nimo off center will will help his uh, legs and his health a little bit. But yeah, I think Canna's a a perfectly fine move. And, you know, we're, we're getting excited about the stars, right? Like Max Scherzer's massive move. Starling Marte's a massive move. But you win by the Mark Cannas of the world. You win by the Eduardo Escobar's of the world. The guys that you get for, you know, it's certainly not chump change, but the guys that you get for middle to lower middle type of financial value. And then you exceed that value. You know, we're all looking about producing wins, you know, to not get too analytical, but bring war into the thing. Like, you know, Mark Canna, Eduardo Escobar, those are like two and a half win players. And you assess a win as $8 million right now. These guys, if they perform to their career norms, the Mets will get exceptional value as far as production to money paid out on both Canna and Escobar. And then, of course, it, it like I said, it changes the outlook of the roster. And I find it very interesting that as of now, the Mets have not brought back anybody that was a free agent or anything from last year's team. It's clear they want to make a culture change. And there's a lot of word out of Oakland that Mark Canna is one of the best guys in baseball, a leader in the locker room. Um, so it sounds like you know they're adding the right kind of guys in addition to quality baseball players. Yeah,
1: I think that was a focal point for them. I think they needed to turn the page. You know, Steve Cohen came in and had his year to evaluate how things are. And Sandy Alderson obviously came back in and they are. And, you know, Sandy drafted a lot of these guys. But I think when it comes down to it, they are they know what they don't want back. And, you know, they obviously and there's a lot of baseball offseason left, but I don't think they're going to be trading away everyone. It's nothing like that. But they are absolutely going after veterans, a lot of them with postseason experience uh, that are regarded as top tier clubhouse guys while also producing on the field, most importantly. So everyone with a little bit of versatility as well. Can has played all three outfield spots. The first signing out of the gate, Eduardo Escobar, has played short, but is predominantly a third and second baseman right now in his career. For the Mets, we are assuming, as we sit here and record, that he will be their opening day third baseman. Uh, A very interesting player, right? Another two-year deal, $20 million. So in this two-year window of them just blowing the luxury tax out of the water, Canna and Escobar are in that window. Robinson Cano's money is in that window. So you can kind of see what the Mets are doing here. Now, when you look at Escobar, some serious pop uh, for an infielder. I mean, in 2019, of course... You know, obviously pretty serious juice balls, but 35 home runs. But last year, 28 home runs in two different stops. He had 22 for Arizona, six for the Brewers. Uh, not the same on-base threat that Marte and Canna are, but obviously makes up for it because he can put the ball over the fences pretty consistently. I mean, you're talking about back-to-back full seasons we will discount 2020 of, you know, 35 and 28 home runs, that's pretty serious pop uh, run production, 90 RBIs last year. So I think when you look at it with Escobar, you know, and once again, a guy that doesn't really ground into double plays very often, they are looking to construct a different kind of lineup and a player that can hold his own where you play him at third or second is And this, it's not like J.D. Davis out there where they have all these guys that or out of position, um, and a relatively low-budget deal, all things considered, right, Joe?
2: Yeah, Escobar, versatile player, like you said. Uh, his best spot is probably second base, to be honest, but he's he's perfectly fine at third base. Um, not going to kill you by any means there. Um, but another exceptional locker room guy. I know when the Mets signed him, uh, former teammates of his, Trevor May and Taiwan Walker, obviously, who are both with the Mets now. Raved about the kind of guy that the Mets were getting. Um, he's another guy, much like Marte, that crushes velocity and fastballs. Um, so I think that's another thing they Mets probably saw. Thank a lot. God, the Mets dude. saw the last Ma- year. Yeah, the Mets saw a lot <laughs> of guys that just couldn't hit a fastball, like hard fastballs up. They just swung through it left and right. Um, so they added some guys that hit fastballs, and you know, like you said, Escobar brings pop to the table. So he's not an on-base guy. He's not really drawing your walks. He's going to put the ball in play. He hasn't ground into a lot of double plays. Uh, he has a pretty good fly ball rate. So he's hitting the ball in the air a lot. And you're seeing, you know, the power go through. Uh, and he's a, another guy that his power is not cheap home runs. Like he's not Pete Alonzo, uh, certainly. Uh, but I saw, I believe it was Matthew Brownstein, Brownstein on Twitter, uh, posted a stat from Baseball Savant that, if Eduardo Escobar played all of his games in city field and hit the home runs at the trajectory and everything that he did this year, he would have hit 38 home runs at city field. Wow. So the, he has power. There's no question about it. He could bat in the middle in, in the Mets case, probably more like the bottom half of the order, uh, but give you that, that run production. And if, we're having this, I like you said, we'll talk lineups later. But in an ideal world, you have your top with, you know, Nimmo and Marte and Alonso and Lindor. And then you throw Canna there. So then if you drive in the top of your order, Canna is kind of rebooting a sense of a, another table setter in the middle of the order. And then you can have a guy like Escobar who could drive him in. Um, you know, that's speaking in an ideal world. But I think, you know, all in all, this was the smallest signing and, you know, the Mets probably have visions of Escobar being uh, an expensive utility guy in 2023 with some prospects on the mend with, you know, Brett Beatty, Mark Vientos, those guys that are probably coming in the next year. Uh, but Escobar's a guy that gives them the flexibility in the remainder of the offseason. So post-lockout when the Mets come out and they want to be opportunistic and find value, if there's a second baseman to sign, they can play Escobar at third. If they want to keep Jeff McNeil at second, they could keep Escobar at third. If they want to sign a third baseman, you could shift Escobar to second. You could trade Jeff McNeil. Like the options become endless with the versatility that the Mets were able to acquire over the last four days.
1: I think you just made a really good point, too, is that could they have matched the Hobby Bias deal? Sure. And we'll get into that in a second. But like you don't need to fill every spot with five to six year contracts of superstars there is a wait and see approach even for the richest team in baseball where and a lot of offseason left but if they go into opening day with jeff mcneil at second base assuming everything is okay with him and francisco Lindor, and they want to see if they get a jeff mcneil bounce back i'm okay with that because you know what joe the worst case scenario is you don't get that bounce back He's, you know, kind of falling apart again. And then at the deadline, you're aggressive to fill a spot in second base that let's be real. There's options for second base at the deadline every single year that are more than capable. So I, I, this is one of the most exciting off seasons for a Mets fan of all time. At the same time, I I think it's good for everyone to keep a perspective of, you know, they're going to have a couple more moves in them. Bullpen, another starter. Probably one more bat. I know John Heyman has said that before, but I think they are in a situation too where they have laid the groundwork. They have a really nice foundation. We're gonna know a lot about this team before the trade deadline, and now they also have the ability to make a move at the deadline if they do need another piece or two to really put their you know foot on the gas
2: for a postseason run. That's really the way you build nowadays. You build to the tr- to have a first half roster to the trade deadline. Obviously, you want some pieces that are going to be impactful in the playoffs if you get there, all that good stuff. But just look at the Braves. I mean, <laughs> they their World Series winning outfield were three trade deadline acquisitions that they didn't give up much as far as prospect goes. Like, that might be the model that you see teams. It's much like the NFL that baseball is a copycat league. So I think you're going to see teams that are looking more for all right, let's get multiple guys for depth, and just see who pops. And the Braves just happen to have Jorge Soler, Eddie Rosario, and Adam Duvall all pop for them. So it was kind of a, a perfect storm. But yeah, you you build up this team, and you know, like you mentioned, Jeff McNeil, all you have to do is baseball reference him. Just go look at pre 2021 Jeff McNeil. He was an over 300 hitter every year, crazy on base skills. Uh, he could play second base. I mean, he was plus four defensive run saves saved at second base this year in kind of the limited time that he played there. And he has versatility, flexibility, like I would bet a lot on a Jeff McNeil bounce back. And it sounds like the Mets may possibly be making that same bet. And I don't think that's a negative thing. I know that everyone's now going to have dreams of Chris Bryant and everyone wanted Javi Baez back, but I think the Mets are setting their roster up. Perfectly fine. Like if you told me the lineup that they have right now is the opening day lineup, I wouldn't feel like they failed by any means. I would feel it's a similar caliber offense to what they had, but a much more predictable offense in the sense that there's not going to be quite as much variety in results based on what these guys have done historically. Uh, You're going to have much less slumps of where, You know, you can't score any runs for a long period of time. And then you have a little quick blip of things clicking. Seems like it should be a more consistent team. And I think that's kind of what you're looking for. So I think they obviously, like you said, a massive pre lockout free agency. They're not done by any means. Um, They're going to make more moves. My guess would be you're going to see more shorter term moves, one to two years. Maybe they'll make some higher expenditures in that one to two year window cuz if we get into february and there's a couple hundred free agents out there or whatever like there's going to be guys that need jobs that end up having to take less than maybe you think they're going to get and i i could see the mets trying to juice up a short term deal for somebody and yeah you shouldn't discount another bat but if if they didn't add another starting bat I would I would be content with the lineup.
1: Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the
0: WinBet Sports Betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to indeed.com slash blue wire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy and indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined according to talent nest indeed.com slash blue wire terms and condition apply need to hire you need indeed
1: so our buddy daniel weber a a consistent listener and the leading the man that is leading the charge for kyle schwarber i told him we would get this in on the main segment because i do think it's interesting Schwarber, this is really just a launching point. This doesn't have to be directly about Schwarber. But I would say, with Javi Baez gone, and I'm not really shocked by that after these signings, my one concern right now, Joe, is that when you look at this team on paper, they got better in a lot of ways, right? They are a better on-base team. They are a more athletic team. They are a versatile team. I think right now, if opening day was today, and it's not even close. There's a lot of offseason left. And this one thing I'm still wondering about is honestly not very hard to find. But I look at this team and go, my one concern is I don't think they have enough power right now. Now you have one of the best power hitters in the game in Pete Alonso, right? You have one of the best power hitting shortstops in the game in Francisco Lindor and Escobar is a big time power bat on the infield. But with the way the outfield's constructed with Nimmo, Marte and Canna, not power guys. Yep. Really the biggest power bat there is Canna, who's probably going to hover around 15 home runs. Second base with McNeil, who you don't want to start falling into trying to be a power hitter again. McCann, not really giving you anything behind home plate. One, is this something like, am I over, am I over concerned about this? Or do you think with DH coming to the NL and the lockout going to change this market when it's done, do they have to start thinking, hey, we should go try to sign a power hitting DH? Uh,
2: and then what Or are you, trade. And what are you doing at Robinson
1: Cano? Oh, my God. I'm not <laughs> even picturing him yeah. in the picture. Yeah.
2: I mean, ultimately, I, I think everyone wants to dismiss him. Chances are he's going to be a part of the picture. Um, unless Sure. But I think it's a... It is a valid concern that I think they could use one more guy with some pop. Um You wonder, like you said, it could be a trade. Like, could they work a trade for Matt Chapman, who he doesn't have all the offensive traits that you'd like. He's not a high average hitter. He's not a high on base hitter, but he's going to slug you 30 home runs and play platinum glove defense at third base next to Lindor. You know, maybe... Can the Mets kill two birds with one stone and trade Jeff McNeil and something, or Jeff McNeil and Dom Smith, or Jeff McNeil and a prospect or something, and go and grab Sean Mania and Matt Chapman? And you have the flexibility to shift Eduardo Escobar to second, play Chapman at third, have the best left side of infield defense in baseball, and then you add a a starter like Mania, Like, just... There's so many things they could do. They have flexibility financially. They have flexibility with the versatility on their roster. Um, But yeah, I think saying that they could use a little more thump would be a valid concern. Um, It's just a matter of where do they get it? How do they get it? And how much does it cost?
1: Of course. Yeah, it's one of those things that if you're the Mets, you're probably sitting there going, man, hopefully this market can kind of die down eventually eventually. And somebody's still, you know, playing musical chairs and looking for a place to sit. And we can capitalize on that. Uh, You know, there's been a lot of talk about a guy even like Nelson Cruz uh, drawing a lot of interest from National League teams because they are so convinced that he would because they're so convinced that there will be the DH in the National League, quite frankly. So players like that, I still think Schwarber um, term wise will be off the table for them. Now that can change if that goes on for a very long time. But I, I'm thinking he gets a three to
2: four year deal, right? That's what it seems like. It seems like there's enough interest that he's gonna get that multi year deal. And, you know, I truly believe and when I'm when I mention a spending window, because I'm gonna get really numbers nerdy here a little bit, um, as far as finances go, their spending window does not does not equal contending. like They're not going to rebuild after this window for a year or anything, so don't take it this way. But their spending window is clearly the next two years. Um, as we know, there is heightening penalties for when you exceed the luxury tax multiple times. So you, you do it once, it's this. You do it twice, it's a little worse. The next time is way worse. And you really see these teams, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Yankees, these teams are going over for two years. They're hopping back under for a year and then they go back over. Look at all you have to do is pull up a, a payroll sheet, go to like COTS contracts or one or uh, SPOTRAC, one of those sites, and just kind of look how the Mets have everything outlined. They're outlined to spend crazy in the next two years and have a big dip after those two years. I mean, sure as his opt out, which you know, you would imagine, I mean, if he opts out, then Max Scherzer's the man and the Mets killed that Exactly. Contract. He was uh, phenomenal. Yeah. So if he opts out, you cross that bridge then, but he has an opt out after two years. Robinson Cano off the books in two years. Um, Mark Hanna, two year deal. Eduardo Escobar, two year deal. Uh, they have a bunch of guys w- within arbitration that will be able to, you know, roll off the the payroll if you want them to. Um, James McCann will be entering the last year of his contract. Francisco Alvarez, presumably, on the the mend of being a big leaguer. And maybe you can save some of McCann's money and trade cash with him to get rid of him. So I think the Mets are positioning themselves, which is why I'm saying when you come back from the lockout, go freaking nuts in one-year deals. And you talked about that earlier in the offseason when you were talking about overpaying on a one-year deal. I don't care if the Mets payroll is $350 million in 2022. Steve Cohen probably doesn't care either. But I think they are smartly and, you know, it is clear that there is a plan in place here, which is something that we haven't really seen. Um, And I think their plan is to spend heavily these next two years, reset their luxury tax number while also still... contending because they're going to have great players. Lindor is still going to be here. The prospects I mentioned will be here. Um, they're still presumably going to have Jacob DeGrom, like they're going to have people. So they'll still be able to have a quality com- contending roster. But I think you just look at it from they have that type of plan. So go ahead and go nuts in the one-year, two-year market, and then we'll just revisit it after that. Yeah, I think that's exactly...
1: You know, we're looking at it and thinking like, oh, OK, all the big moves are done. But we've said it many times. They are at a distinct advantage that in the one to two year contract window, if they want a guy, they could blow anyone out of the water. And those are the deals that happen very late. And, you know, let's not forget how late they signed Taiwan Walker last year, and he was an all star in the first half. So and then you even have someone out there like Jorge Soler that is going to scare teams because yes, he just got so hot for the Braves. And, you know, in 2019, he hit 48 home runs, but just not a typically consistent player. But when I'm talking about taking a swing on a one year, two year deal for a DH that you're like, Hey, you're going to DH most days and you're going to hopefully just hit 30 home runs for us. Now, I will say this. Am I overthinking this? And maybe the Mets just like Dom at first base and want Pete to DH, even though he's been vocal, that's not really his thing. There's a lot of variables. Yeah. I mean, I, I
2: it's I, it's tricky. We just don't know yeah, how they feel internally. Right. And I still think there's trades to, to happen here with the Mets. I don't think... Um... I don't think they're going to be operating exclusively in free agency for the remainder of the offseason. Like, what's the future of J.D. Davis? We've talked about him as a trade candidate for months. Is Dom Smith a trade candidate? Is Jeff McNeil a trade candidate? You know, I know that I'm high on him and I believe he's going to bounce back. And maybe they're not so confident and they find a team who is. And they go ahead and they sell a Jeff McNeil. Um, And then, like you said, juicing up that one two-year market, You know, I find this one particularly unlikely, but who's to say February doesn't come around and Chris Bryant's struggling to find that five, six, seven-year deal that he wants. And he signs a big one-year deal. He signs a pillow contract. Scott Boris has issued pillow contracts many a times before. Um, So, you know, I wouldn't shoot down the possibility. Um, And I know with Javi Baez, uh, the Mets had some interest if he was willing to sign a shorter term deal. Um they just weren't going to play at that 6-year number. Um and I know he does have an opt out in there. Uh the Mets certainly didn't want to bank on him opting out and I think they're they're just limiting their long-term spending at this point. Like they've made their their big big fish and now you just kind of fill in the gaps around it.
1: That's right. A lot of offseason left, a lot of fun ahead. Um you know, we'll we'll get into you know, obviously the next things, you know, and let's just get into the questions because I know that's where a, a lot of them are going to go. We'll dive into the mailbag now. The first one is from Matt Campion, who said, "What upgrades on the roster do you still want to see made? Uh, depth, bullpen, maybe lock down one more stud bat." I, you know, obviously yes to all. I think right now the one, maybe two, they can't go without, but one, they need to sign another starter here, and it doesn't need to be. You know, you don't need to bring back Marcus Stroman or it's I'm not saying I'd get a number one, number two or even number three starter. Uh, And this is I have a gut feeling they are going to address this issue on the trade market. But I, I, they need to get a guy, even a rich hill. uh, That's a number five that can go out and give you innings.
2: So depth, depth, depth and more depth like I want this team to be so deep. We saw what injuries did. The injuries is what killed the Mets season. Like we could blame Francisco Lindor. We could blame whatever you want. Blame the fact that the Mets almost set the major league record for players used in a season. Um they just had a lot of injuries and they didn't have near enough depth to overcome it. They managed their way through some of the season and that was exciting and impressive. Uh, but you need to look and get as deep as possible. Like remember last year we were talking about oh man they have a five and six starter or six and seven starter in Joey Lucchese and Jordan Yamamoto. And then a guy we never heard of, Tyler McGill, comes into the fray and obviously pitches and you know makes an impact. Uh, so depth to me is very important. But to Connor's point, um, they definitely want one more legitimate starter. Like you said, it's not a frontline guy. Uh, Marcus Stroman, unless something drastically changes, probably not on their radar – Uh, But uh, we know a guy like Yusei Kikuchi is, who pitched for the Seattle Mariners, sort of had similar results to Taiwan Walker last year, where he had a a big first half, made the all-star team, and then stunk it up in the second half. But the stuff is there. Um, He's into the upper 90s from the left side, deceptive delivery, good slider. Uh, There's some upside, I still think, untapped there with him. Uh, They have to replace Aaron Loop. There's no question they need a lefty reliever. Um, could that be a reunion with Brad Hand? Potentially. I'm a little less intrigued in that, but it seems like he's on their radar. Um, Andrew Chafin is another one that could be on their radar. Uh, That's far- the guy I want yeah. for the bullpen. I'm I'm with you on Andrew Chafin. And then as far as a bat, you know, if they can be opportunistic and find that right, quote unquote, stud bat, go for it. Um, but i'm looking to even add more depth there in the infield and then in the outfield because we talk about those everyday players. Um, Nimo has had his injury concerns you know Marte and canna while obviously we're optimistic about their skill sets and what they could bring to the table they are on the opposite side of 30 so you never know if some injuries could creep up on them so i'd like to be a little deeper in the outfield if i can but yeah to me i'd be i'd be preaching depth depth and more depth. And then obviously you have a a couple, you know, legitimate spots to fill.
1: Yeah, let's not forget how late the VR and Pilar signings were last year. I think Pilar didn't really work out for the most part, but I thought VR for what he was paid uh, was a nice piece. I think they need, you know, two of those signings, one year deals, not insane money or not an insane player that you think about, but somebody that can play in the big league. So we'll keep an eye on those as well after the lockout. Um, the next one from Pat Chamberlain is what's the latest you're hearing on Stroman? Is it a crazy pipe dream at this point? I think he could still return or can, or can you tell me there's a chance? I don't think so. I think Stroman will eventually get that five-year deal somewhere, four-year deal somewhere. And I just don't think the Mets are in the business of handing any of those out, uh, especially at starting pitching right now. I think they're, they're content. They went after Scherzer. Strowman has been very vocal. Uh, he obviously feels very disrespected that the Mets, in his words, did not want to bring him back. They were looking at Gosman and Robbie Ray in Strowman's words. Uh, fun fact, they got Max Scherzer instead. Uh, they did better than any of those options. And they were so, ne- and
2: they were never looking at Robbie Ray. Just just so everyone knows.
1: Yeah, of course. The, yeah. I mean, they were never going to go for qual- guys with picks attached to them. And Ray fell under that. So, yeah, that was a bizarre uh, fake, fake rumor. I, you know, We've said it before. We were we wanted Strowman back. I think that ship has sailed. I think that you know what you could do whatever you want. Anybody, any athlete, anyone they could do whatever they want. It's their Twitter account, they could say what they want. My personal take, and I'm sure he would probably block me right away if he heard this, is uh Marcus Strowman would have done himself a favor by not tweeting some of the things he did during free agency and. I'm one of those people that I, athletes, speak up, say whatever you want, all for you. But I also call it like I see it. I do think, and you could say I'm, maybe you think I'm crazy here, Joe. I don't know how you feel. I don't think
2: that helped his free agency, unfortunately, honestly. That's exactly how I was going to paint it. I don't know how big of a deal it is. Like you said, we might revisit in two months and he gets that five-year, $105 million deal. Yeah, sure. And- you know we don't, and the whole this whole discussion is moot. But I think it's clear that all the other starters are signing, and he has not. Um, I don't think that. And tw- he was very good. Yeah, last he was year. He's fantastic, reliable. Like, there's, I don't have a bad word to say about Marcus Stroman. Um, I think he's a quality pitcher by all counts. He seems to be a quality person, a quality teammate. I, I, I vibe with the positivity stuff that he pushes. Um, some other people are turned off by it, but you know, whatever. I I can vibe with that. Um, I think the reality is I, I won't tell you there's no chance. Uh, but I think the strong indication is that it's unlikely. Um, all you have to do is look at who the Mets were in pursuit of. And Marcus Stroman was never on that list. I think, like you said, for right, right or wrong, I think the ship has sailed. Uh, I think the Mets want a culture change, um, just as much as humanly possible. And, you know, they were talking to John Gray and not Marcus Stroman. Kind of, you know, it's almost like, what does that tell you? I just, I just don't think the interest is there, and maybe it comes back to bite them. Uh, I certainly highlighted all the positive traits of Marcus Stroman, how I think he's going to age well as a pitcher. He's defied odds his whole life. I certainly would not doubt doubt him going forward. Uh, but yeah, it sounds like it ain't a fit here.
1: Yeah, I think so. I just think that, you know, Strowman has played to a level where he has earned a big time deal. And I just don't think the Mets are uh giving those out anymore. They are and I'm talking term here. If the Mets go out and give Chris Bryant like a one year, thirty million dollar deal, I would not be surprised at all if Chris Bryant's listening to those at some point in the next four months. But the the front market uh, which is usually filled with term deals, right? You're looking at three, four, five, six. Javi Baez gets six-year deal. Um, yeah, I just don't think they're in that right now. And who can fault them for going? Hey, we're gonna go all out for Max Scherzer. It, it, you know what? Like, great. It was the right move. And and we'll see how it goes. But yeah, I just I just don't think that reunion's gonna happen. And um, Marcus is a very good pitcher, and and will end up somewhere. But right now, it's it seems like there's not a lot of action going on there. All right, the next one from Ian Gilroy says Mets fans are much quicker to move on from JD more than anyone else. Would it be crazy to think he is our best option at DH? Perhaps Cano versus righties, JD versus lefties. I think that's a way you can handle it. Would that get me excited? No. Um, But is it a possibility? It, it certainly is. I think that. When all said and done, I still think JD Davis is going to be traded. I don't know what that's going to be for, but the way, you know, obviously Ian, they're suggesting the splits and, uh, you know, a, a platoon as Joe would say at DH, it's, it's on the table, but I think after we'll say March, uh, that will not be what
2: we're looking at. you took my thunder. I was going to say, is Ian referencing a platoon at DH? A platoon. Yeah. Um, I, I do think he does have a point that I think maybe in a sense we're completely dismissing JD's skill set a little bit. And we're just like, there's not a starting spot for him. That's painfully obvious. So get him out of here because he doesn't have a defensive home. He's not very versatile. Um, but in a way, he's brought, he's their best bench bat right now. Um, so is he someone to be excited about? no. Um, Do I think it's more likely than not that he gets traded? Probably. And he basically said the same thing towards the end of the season, that he kind of expects to not be here uh, this coming year. So I appreciate the idea. Um, I don't know that the DH would be like a strict platoon situation. It feels like it should be, you know, mostly used by Cano if he's able to show up the spring and be healthy and show that he has something. Um, but J.D. is a guy that maybe could be part of a deal to bring you a valuable reliever, bring you more starting pitching depth, because uh, it's important with the starting pitching depth that they need to re- acquire. It's not just about the free agents that they sign. They need to try to acquire starting pitching depth that have minor league options attached to them because they're going to acquire one more starter for the rotation for sure. And you know maybe it's a Rich Hill, maybe it's a Yusei Kikuchi. Maybe it's a Sean Mania, but the depth that you have after that, you have to have the ability to option that person to triple A. So maybe JD's traded for a guy that's like right now, maybe on the cusp of the big leagues, um, but has those minor league options where you could send them back to triple A if you need to. So uh, long winded way of saying I would expect JD's gone, but I think it's a valid point that maybe we underestimate his offensive skill set a little bit.
1: Yeah, I'll be the first to say, as somebody that sits here on the show every week and defends and fights for a Jeff McNeil bounce back season, that it's not fair uh, to not clarify. J.D. Davis was playing hurt the entire year last year. I, I believe it was a nerve problem in his hand, some kind of significant hand injury that, let's be real, that's going to significantly impact your offensive ability. And that is J.D.'s calling card is his offensive ability. So Is there a spot for him on this team right now? Yeah, I mean, if if he's healthy and they believe in him, he can DH uh, 35, 40% of the game, something along those lines, maybe less. But can you find a better, cheap replacement at the end of the offseason? That's fluid, and the Mets need to do their due diligence to keep an eye on if that exists. And if that does exist... You know, I think the bigger issue to me, Joe, with J.D. is when healthy, I know the guy can hit. That's no secret. I think the issue for me is that I don't want to be one injury away, one Eduardo Escobar injury away from J.D. Davis playing third base. That's to me where you look at it and go, he loses his value on the bench. Uh, pretty quickly
2: yeah he he loses his value the minute he has to play in the field there's no question about that so that's a pro- that's a yeah. gigantic
1: problem because he's not nelson
2: cruz at the plate right exactly so i think think they're probably better off finding the best possible return and like you said just signing a person that can fill a similar role to him um for the bench
1: all right. Another question from Mets fan. 04 last offseason, there was a lot of talk about extending the Grom before the 2022 season because of his potential opt out. Do you think that still happens before this season starts or do the Mets wait out until after the season because of his 2021 injuries? Yeah, we talked about this a little bit on the stream where Joe and I agree that you just don't do anything right now because you just don't know what he is at this point, which is, you know, it would be one thing. It would be a giant gamble if ownership was in a different situation that you go, oh my God, what if he comes back, wins the Cy Young this year, and then he walks for a four-year, $200 million deal. And that's, I'm not even exaggerating. With Steve Cohen here, you just don't have that fear. If DeGrom comes back, pitches and makes 80% plus of his starts, has a great year, Cy Young contender, then Steve Cohen's going to pay him. That's what I have to say about it. So... I, no I don't even think it'll be a conversation in the spring yeah what do you think
2: no I don't think so either I think DeGrom has something to prove for sure which uh, is
1: you know what he's like when that's yeah. the case
2: yeah DeGrom's a guy that I would bet on with his back up against the wall um and he has to prove that he's healthy there's no question about it and right now albeit it's not Shurs or money um Degrom is making upper twenty million dollars a year. I know like his deal's backloaded or whatever, so he'll be making more. Um, but when I think about payroll, I'm only thinking you know luxury tax and just average per year. But he's he's certainly not a uh, hurting for money. He's he's underpaid based on his skill set. Uh, but he's he's just got to prove that he's healthy. And if he does, he'll opt out. And the Mets at that point, like you said, will have two pitchers making over $40 million a year is my best guess. Um, So they'll just have to cross that bridge when they get there. But I think DeGrom has something to prove. And frankly, I think having Scherzer here will motivate him even further Uh, because the Mets, I, I, I said this on the YouTube channel, that the Mets probably now own the two most competitive pitchers in baseball. These guys want nothing more to win. I mean... DeGrom and it's not just lip service when he says it like when DeGrom gives up one run and the Mets don't win how many times that happened was is absurd but he'd give it one run and he'd go we pro- we would have won if I didn't make that mistake and he genuinely believes every pitch needs to be perfect Max Scherzer is a very similar type of guy where he's so motivated I mean just look at the gifts you have him cussing himself out and cussing at hitters when he's about to throw a fastball by him like the Mets got the definition of bulldogs with Degrom and Scherzer, and I couldn't be more happy that they're at the top of the rotation. And Degrom will prove his health, I imagine, this year, and you'll address his contract after that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it just it speaks to the kind of shape Scherzer's in at thirty seven uh, compared to you know how typical baseball players age. It's um, just a totally different kind of guy, and him and Degrom as one two. I mean, let's be real. If we get to the postseason and those guys are good to go, that is demoralizing for anyone that has to play the New York Mets, knowing that's the one and two you get. And, and this is another conversation for another day, but it makes their number three situation that much more interesting. Can they get a Cookie Carrasco bounce back? Can they get Taiwan Walker to closer to the all-star form that he showed? Uh, can Tyler McGill or David Peterson take the next step? Uh, obviously, those are all long shots, but... That's a conversation right now that uh, particularly interests me. All right. I, I want to get one more in the mailbag here. This is strictly for Joe getting what You got to give a little love to the, the hardcore prospect fans, draft fans. NYM1280 asked you, what prospects could you see really breaking out next year? Could we be talking about a guy like Alex Ramirez in a year the same way we talk about Alvarez, Beatty, and Mauricio right now?
2: Not impossible. Um, So Alex Ramirez was signed in 2019 uh, for over $2 million as an international free agent. Uh, Made his uh, stateside debut this year. Played for low A St. Lucie. Did kind of what you expect for an 18-year-old, making his professional debut. uh, Low OBP. Flashed. Had some good streaks. Had some rough patches. Struggled with breaking stuff. But this is a guy that if you had to tell me, there's a prospect in the system that has all five tools. Alex Ramirez is your best bet to be that guy. Doesn't mean it's five elite tools, but he does a little bit of everything. He can run. He can definitely play center field. Um, he could hit a bit for average. He could hit for some pop. Uh, I know Jacob Resnick, uh, my guy over at, he's with SNY as well, um, posted some video of Ramirez, I believe last week on Twitter and. Had some exit velocity numbers on him where you know he was hitting 107 mile an hour line drives. So like the skill set is all there for Alex Ramirez. He's just at, raw as sushi and just has a lot of work to do on you know putting his whole approach together and his overall game. But yeah, I mean this is a guy that is signed. He was signed for the type for the type of money that Mauricio and Alvarez signed for. So uh, there's no reason to think that he can't do it. He's just not nearly as polished as those guys. And one other name I'll throw in there is Robert Dominguez, who I'd expect to make his stateside debut next year. And this is a guy that uh, they also signed, I believe in 2019 uh, for a much lower sum of money. Uh, I believe it was under a hundred thousand dollars. Wasn't really throwing so hard. Then the Mets got him onto their facility and worked on some mechanical things. And all of a sudden he was touching 99 miles an hour and Uh, Baseball America wrote an article that the Mets and some other organizations believe that the Mets got the steal of that international free agency class with Dominguez. Um, I don't know if he's a starter long-term or a reliever, uh, but just an exciting young arm that touches 99, 100 miles an hour and has a quality breaking ball. And you should see him make his stateside debut, I imagine, in uh, 2022. So those are a couple. Um, There's probably a couple more further down the line, but Let's let's stay high level for now.
1: Yeah, and I mean, those are monumental because we bring up earlier how the deadline is going to be so important. And for the Mets, a team that they have, you know, five really good prospects, but trades are made with those guys that are in the six to 20 range all the time at the deadline rather than giving up your top dogs. And, you know, obviously they had to give up Pete Crow Armstrong to get Hobby Baez last year. I, I don't think they want to walk into a scenario where. When their trade talks start for a nice piece, it's, hey, Matt, what's Matt Allen's price? What's, you know, obviously Alvarez, Mauricio and Beatty. uh, We don't expect them to go anywhere anytime soon. And the few arms they have like Matt Allen, like JT Ginn, you know, we, you know, those guys, they they need other guys behind them to start showing something uh, to build up this farm. Of course, this is a monumental draft as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And my hopes are they learned a lesson from this past trade deadline. You don't trade first round picks for rentals. I don't care how good they are. You keep like they should not have me. I, I was I was not a huge proponent of the hobby trade. You could go back and watch the YouTube. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I tried to convince myself that it was the right move, but it wasn't. And now they gave up a first round pick, one that they were high on for two months of hobby bias. And the Mets didn't make the playoffs. So, you know. We'll see what Pete Crawl-Armstrong's career ends up, but they need to get out of the habit of trading those guys. And like you said, this draft is arguably the most important draft that the Mets have had in a very long time. Um, They're going to have the opportunity of having two first-round picks. They're going to have the opportunity of having two compensatory picks uh, for Noah Syndergaard and presumably Michael Conforto when he departs. And those picks will be after the second round. So they're going to be more in your 70 to 80 range, uh, kind of where they got Matt Allen. So they'll be more more around there than um, necessarily, you know, after the first round. But then they have their other, their own picks, their own second round pick, their own third round pick. Like they're in position to probably have about six of the top 90 to 100 overall picks. And Tommy Tanis and Mark Tremuda, they've done a great job drafting, especially early on in drafts and uh they're gonna have the opportunity to take a farm system that right now is probably bottom ten in major league baseball and flip it on its head with one impactful draft. So there's pressure on them and, you know, they're they're hard at work and we'll 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 see how they put it all together come next July.
1: Welcome to my world, my friend. This is the Jets every year with a billion picks. Uh and it. it creates a lot of fun and it'll be a lot of fun for you to break down all those players that are selected all right that was fun uh just a loaded show and so much to discuss and we have a lot of fun stuff planned for you guys even with the lockout coming up a lot of guests you know we'll be on youtube pretty much weekly uh throughout this off season just to keep things going joe closing thoughts for episode 70 the mason williams episode
2: one hell of a week You know, just think this time last week, we were just like, man, the Mets just lost Syndergaard and Loop. What's next? Like, what are they going to do? And here we are. They added over $80 million to the 2022 payroll. Right now, their payroll is over $270 million, the highest payroll in baseball. Um, One hell of a week. Uh, Unfortunately, the fun will uh, take a little bit of a break as far as player acquisitions start, but This time next week, we're going to start talking manager because now that's where the managerial and coaching staff search will go full bore. Once this lockout starts, then there's no player acquisitions that they could do. So Billy Epler and Steve Cohen, I imagine, will go full bore into uh, managerial search and Epler will get the opportunity to take his time to learn the organization. Um, There's no denying that this lockout, whilst it sucks, Um, it will potentially benefit the Mets more so than any organization in baseball. So, you know, like you said, we're going to have plenty of content. So, you know, please continue to listen to the pod. You know, you probably subscribe if you're listening, but if not, make sure you do. Leave reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you leave questions in there, guaranteed that you will get it answered. Um, The YouTube, I'm having so much fun with it. Like, I can't wait to go on again. And uh, we're going to have some guests on the YouTube that may not make the podcast and some guests in the podcast that may not make the YouTube. So you're going to want to check out both so you don't miss any content.
1: Yeah, they're very separate things on purpose. And I appreciate everyone that asked if we can uh, upload the YouTubes as a pod. I think for now, we're going to stay away from that just because we really love our podcast specific partnership. We do at blue wire, which is every Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, You'll have a long show like you do today over an hour. And then our YouTube channel is is just, you know, that's Joe and I's thing that we're going to try to drive up the subscribers and really use that as a platform to fly in your comments, interact with you. And we'll have certain guests that we'd love to have on the YouTube because it's live. And then we'll have certain guests that we'd love to have on for the pod. That's probably a longer form conversation. So uh, thank you so much for the support, everyone. Even with the pending lockout, the Mets are gonna have a lot on their plate. There's gonna be a lot going on. Stick with us and we will catch you next week.
0: I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Daz. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.